Hi friends, Gerald Law here. Welcome to the Love Lake Norman podcast. Love Lake Norman is a church in Cornelius, North Carolina, whose mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. You're about to hear a message that will be helpful and hopeful. Our goal is to encourage you to take the next step in your faith. Wherever you are, we want you to know that God has a plan and a purpose for you. Thanks for spending time with us today. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, this is week seven of our Shadow King series, and I just I want to stop and give a quick shout out to Andy Stanley for some great thoughts that he has, especially uh, on the content that I'm working through today. Um, things don't always work out how you hope they would. Sometimes it's your fault. Sometimes it's not. Uh, what, what happens when we realize that our dreams can't come true? We've been asking this question the past couple of weeks. Because life rarely goes as planned, and our, and our plans are great, and everybody needs a plan, uh, but reality sometimes is greater than our plans. And sometimes things don't turn out because of other people, and sometimes they don't turn out like we want to because of, because of us. And that means that some of our dreams won't come true. Some of our dreams can't come true. You might, you might not have that child or that investment that you made might not pay off in the end. You, you may not get reunited with that family member. You, you may not stay healthy. The question that David brings up is this. What should we do when our dreams can't come true? We, we began this story, uh, this part of our story last week. It's a pretty familiar story about David and a woman named Bathsheba. And I'll give you the quick recap. David was in his 50s, kind of old for a guy uh, in that day. His, his men had gone off to battle, but he stayed home. If you remember the story, he's up on the rooftop of his palace when he sees a woman bathing down below and he asks a servant who she is. And and he says, it's Bathsheba, it's Uriah's wife. Now Uriah was an officer in his army, but David doesn't care about that. He sends for her, they sleep together, she gets pregnant. And then David tries to get Uriah to come back from battle and be with his wife so that he can hide the pregnancy. But Uriah doesn't, and so basically David has him killed. And he marries Bathsheba himself, thinking in his arrogance that he can cover over his own sin. But it's not a secret, because the walls of the palace talk, and people talk, and eventually Nathan, the prophet of Israel, pays a visit to David, and he tells this this made-up story, and and then he says, you're the man in the story. And finally, David breaks, and he allows the, the, the law of God to break him, and we made this point last time, that every sin comes prepackaged with a consequence, and David finally began to mourn his own sin. But then this happens, and here's how uh, it's recorded. It's, uh, this is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Everyone in the kingdom is going to know about this thing that you did. And it says that David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord, finally. And, and, and Nathan says this back to David, hey, you're, you're not going to die, but there will be a consequence for your action. You had someone who was innocent killed. And so a, a year goes by, and then like five years go by, 10 years go by, and nothing happens. And finally, 
It all comes back to him. David's dreams can't come true. His oldest son is, is named Amnon. He's in line to become the king of Israel, but he was consumed with lust for his half-sister Tamar. And Amnon is obsessed with her. She doesn't even really know he exists, but he does everything that he can to get her attention. And, and one day he pretends to be really, really sick and he sends word to David, can Tamar prepare a special meal for me? And so he sends everybody out of the house and basically she comes in and he tries to talk her into going to bed with him. And here's how it's recorded. She says, no, my brother, she said to him, don't force me. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. Don't do this wicked thing. And then we get this awful, awful uh, next sentence. It says this, but he refused to listen to her. And since he was stronger than she, he raped her. Just, just awful. And then it even says this right after that. Then Amnon hated her with intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he had loved her. Amnon said to her, get up and get out. Just awful. And she's devastated and she'll, she'll never marry. It means that, that that'll happen. And again, there's no secrets in the palace. And so King David finds out he's furious. But what does David do? Nothing. Who is David? He's thinking to manage their private lives after what he has done. So David does nothing. In another of David's sons, we, we have Amnon and now Ab Absalom. Absalom is the third son of David. We think that the second son has passed away by this time, but Absalom is Tamar's brother by the same two parents. So he takes Tamar into his home, but, but, and he does nothing. But, but, but he ignores Amnon. He doesn't speak to Amnon, but this is festering inside. And two years go by, Absalom is so cunning that he throws a big feast at home. He invites his family. He invites over David. David says, no, I can't come, but you guys go ahead. Absalom has a big feast. He gets everybody really drunk. Amnon, the older brother, is really drunk. And Absalom sends his men into the dining hall, and they slaughter Amnon in front of all the brothers. The brothers flee Jerusalem, flee, flee to Jerusalem. Absalom flees north to Syria. And David finds out about his oldest son being murdered by his favorite son, which is Absalom, and he does nothing. Three long years pass. David finds himself missing Absalom, so he invites Absalom back to move uh, back into his home in Jerusalem. And he says, you can send his men to say, you can go to his home, but the king refuses to see him. David refuses to see him. Two years go by, David ignores him, even though Absalom's in Jerusalem. Absalom's tired of it, so he sends his servants to Joab's farm, who was the commander of David's army, kind of the go-between to get a message to the king. Joab won't have anything to do with it either. But Absalom's servants come, and then he sends them to burn down Joab's entire farm. So Joab finally comes to Absalom's house. He says, please, Absalom says, will you just please tell my father I want to see him? And Joab finally says, okay, I'll get that message. And so he sends in this woman, because you can't approach David directly, tells this incredible story. David gets enthralled with the story, finally says kind of the same thing. This guy in the story is you. And so David says, did Joab send you? And she says, yes. And so he calls for Joab, his commander, and he, Joab says, well, just please go see your son, Absalom. He's waited for two years to see, see you. And so Absalom comes in, he bows down, David lays his hands on him. He says, you're forgiven and our relationship was restored, but it's not. 
And Absalom is hurt and David never calls for his son again. And so Absalom again gets so angry, he decides I'm gonna overthrow my father and take the throne for myself. And so Absalom gets up early one day, he sets up his table outside of the court, outside the gates of the main city. And so that anybody trying to get justice by coming to see David would stop and see Absalom first. It's really brilliant. And over time, the Bible says that Absalom stole the hearts of David's people. So for four years, you with me on this story still? Absalom sat outside the gates of the city. He talked to anybody, smart, wise. He was a great leader. Over time, Absalom stole their hearts. And four years later, he sets into motion a plot to overthrow his father. So 16 years after Bathsheba, David's world is upside down. His firstborn son has been murdered by his favorite son, who's now instigating a civil war. He's about to divide the nation. And so the Bible records it like this, that a messenger came and told David, the hearts of the people of Israel are with Absalom. David heard that and he wasn't really surprised. And and then David said to all his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, come, we must flee or none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately or he will move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin on us and put the city to the sword. David knew if I stay here, he's going to put everyone to the sword, including me. And so David abandons the throne to save the city. And once again, at 61 years old, David's a fugitive running from his own family. But this time, like I said, he's not 22, he's 61. And this is not his dream. This is not supposed to happen. He was not supposed to spend this season of his life this way. And David realizes his dreams were not coming true and they they could not come true. And this is where our lives intersect. Like, Like this is us where you can get heartbroken or angry or disappointed and you're looking for someone to blame and you want to blame God and you're asking these questions. Where's God? What's the point? Why even try? Like you hung in there year after year and and now look what she's done or you you, you raised him right and, 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 and look at how he's treating you now. You were honest but you lost the job. You worked hard but it hasn't really worked out for you. This is when we can make things even worse. We're so angry, we get so frustrated, we get so hurt our, our, ourselves. And the more hurt we are, we, we, we can accumulate, even start, maybe you start to accumulate debt or you start to take more pain relievers in your life, but there's more and more pain and you're trying to manage that. And David had learned something along the way though. It says this, the whole countryside wept aloud as all the people passed by. The king also crossed the Kidron Valley and all the people moved on towards the wilderness. So they left Jerusalem. And David isn't even sure where they're going. His supporters and, and he get out of the city. It says that Zadok, who was the high, high priest, was there too. And, and all the Levites who were with him were carrying, listen, this is really cool, the Ark of the Covenant of God. They were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of God. So the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God for ancient Israel. Like you couldn't be closer to God than when you were in its presence. So they took it with them. And and when the Israelites would take it into battle, they were sure to win. And David saw this. The people of the city thought the presence of God was leaving the city. And David began to feel like that's kind of manipulative. And so he sends the Ark back. 
And it says that the king said to Zadok, take the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back and let me see it and his dwelling place again. But if he says, I am not pleased with you, then I'm ready. Let him do to me whatever seems good to him. You know what he was saying? God, not my will, but your will. I mean, David had lost his world, but he didn't lose his confidence in God. His entire world was upside down, but he doesn't reject the law. He, he understands his own flaws. He refuses to be uh, like the king. He's just a king of Israel, but the king is God himself. He lost his world, but it didn't cause him to lose his confidence or his faith in God. He chose not to abandon God when he when it appeared that God had even could have appeared that God had chosen to abandon him. He said, I'm not going to go to war with my son. God will choose how and when and where I am replaced. And so David continues to leave the city. He leaves the ark behind. Absalom is there and Absalom takes the city without a fight. But it's this hollow victory because he has the capital, but he doesn't have the king. And so David ends up going to the city of Machaneum and Absalom comes for him. And David has no choice but to meet his own son in battle. And so David divides, divides his soldiers into three different groups, three different commanders, gives them instructions so that all can hear. He says this, the king commanded Joab, his, his official, his uh, Abishai and Ittai, be gentle with the young man Absalom for my sake. And all the troops heard the king giving orders concerning Absalom to each of the commanders. So he says, don't harm Absalom. All the troops heard him giving those orders. Yeah, like if you find Absalom, don't harm him, bring him back alive. So David's generals tell him not, not to come. He, he watches from a distance as they confront Absalom. It says that David's army marched out of the city to fight Israel and the battle took place in the forest of Ephraim. And uh, they were in the forest. So, so numbers didn't really matter as much. Communication with one another mattered more. And so <laughs> David had organized his troops better. He had those three commanders and Absalom only had one. It says that there Israel's troops were routed by David's men and the casualties that day were great, 20,000 men. The battle spread out over the whole countryside. The forest swallowed up more men that day than the sword. It was tough to fight in the forest and Absalom is caught and Joab kills him instead of sparing him while the soldiers watch. And the text says that all the army of Israel just walked home. And David mourns the loss of a son to such a degree that all the soldiers are afraid to even celebrate their victory. David is mourning and he returns as king, but his world would never be the same. And nine years later, David dies at the age of 70. <laughs> the people writing this story did nothing to hide David's faults and failures and flaws. With all of his flaws, though, he never lost confidence in God. And this sad, sad ending, it just reminds us of something really important, that the foundation of our faith, listen, it's not answered prayer or perfect endings. It's always a mistake to wrap our faith around the fulfillment of our dreams and our prayers. Dreams that don't come true say nothing about the presence or the goodness or the faithfulness of God. In, in other words, we're mistaken to assume that we are forsaken. We're mistaken to assume that we're mistaken, for, forsaken. Da David could have said, through everything, God was with me. And we would do well with our own broken hearts and broken dreams to join with David 
As, as, he leaves, as he left that city to say with him, if I find favor in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back and let me see it in his dwelling place again. But if he says, I'm not pleased with you, then I'm ready. Let him do to me whatever seems good to him. He's saying, your will, not my will be done. Even if what I thought would happen never does. Like I may lose my world. I may lose my world. But I will not lose my confidence and my faith in God. May we be able to say that very same thing. Let's pray. God, it's so um, tempting to want to tie everything into the results that we want. Uh, We all have dreams in our lives and And some of them are probably going to come true and some of them probably are not. God, may we see our walk with you in this world as more about trusting you, even in the times where it doesn't seem like our dreams are going to come true. Trusting your dreams and your plans for us. Help us to be people of faith. Help us to be people of confidence in you, no matter whether we feel like our prayers get answered the way we want to or not. Would you give us that peace? Would you give us that strength? Would you give us that faith? I pray this in the amazing name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for listening. You can find out more about Love Lake Norman at lovelkn.org. If you live in our area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday. If you're not near our church, we want to encourage you to find a life-giving church to be a part of where you live. That will be a key next step on your spiritual journey. Please take a minute, subscribe to this podcast, and keep up to date with our weekly messages. And thanks again for joining the Love Lake Norman podcast.